values determine your goals, your goals determine your strategies, your strategies determine the tools that you use. Sometimes people start with the tool or the strategy. And owning real estate, it's a tool, it's a strategy, it's not necessarily a plan. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you, and this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform Patch of Land. If you're a loyal Best Ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from your bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payments to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to tradition, the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way, and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all the interest up front versus upon distributions. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Chad Shaw. How you doing, Chad? I'm doing well, Joe. Thank you for having me. Well, my pleasure, and glad you're doing well, and welcome to the show. A little bit about Chad. He is the founding partner of MST, Financial Wealth Management and Insurance Services. He works with clients, and he has a focus of working with real estate investors, so we're going to enjoy our conversation with him because he has a lot of clients who are high income, ranging up into the billions of dollars, and the focus for our conversation today is putting together a well-thought-out wealth plan for us as real estate investors because we've got to look at it in a different lens than what's perhaps typical for maybe a W-2 employee. And maybe Chad can help us identify some blind spots that we might need to pay attention to as well. Along the way, a little bit more about Chad. He is based in Orange County, California, and you can say hi to him at his company's website, which is in the show notes page. So with that being said, Chad, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. So I grew up right outside of Buffalo, New York. Both my parents are realtors, owned and operated their own small brokerage there, and were investors themselves. So growing up, having behind-the-scenes view of decades of ups and downs, good and bad, the real estate space. And then in college between semesters, 
did a little bit of work in the construction space, thought I might end up in the real estate world myself. Life took me a different path and ended up in the financial planning space. So having a comfortability with the real estate space over the last decade or so, I spent most of my time serving that marketplace all across the country. And as you mentioned, a lot of our clients are well-established individuals who are doing pretty well and had some unique challenges. So much of my insights and the work that we do today has been a gift, so to speak, from some of the stories we've learned and things that clients are happy they did, or maybe they wish they'd done differently over thousands and thousands of meetings. And today we've got our team in Orange County putting together comprehensive financial plans for folks. And oftentimes there are concentrated assets within there, be it real estate or privately held businesses. So happy to share with you guys the best I got. Well, good. I love the part about talking to a bunch of clients and learning what they're happy they did or wish they'd done differently. So how about we start there? Absolutely. I am a very observant person by nature. And whether it's been learnings from books or interactions of people that I've never met has been fantastic. But to me, the stories that hit home are the ones directly out of the mouths of some of the clients and people that I interact with. And one individual in particular who's actually become a very great friend, through some of our meetings and interactions, I asked him, I said, hey, listen, I'm pretty familiar with the real estate space, but if you would, I'd love to take as much time as you'll give me. Just give me everything you got, the best of what you've learned in your 50 years of investing. And today he's got a sizable net worth. He's seen ups and downs. He's done a lot of great things. And one of the things that I admire even more, he's an incredible human being. So for me, he had built the dream for every real estate investor. And the first time we sat down, he says, okay, I'm going to be able to teach you in two or three hours more than 99% of so-called real estate experts are going to ever anticipate to know. And he starts to draw a few drawings out on a piece of paper. So he draws an A, meaning where we are today, and then he draws a B down the road. And he draws this upwardly sloping curve, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, Chad, over decades, the real estate market looks about like this. You've got peaks, you've got valleys, and no matter what anybody tells you, that's always going to be the same. And what's interesting is the individual that had introduced us has same age, same friend group, same opportunity, same everything, very different outcome. Not nearly the space that this individual is in. And I asked him, first time I met him, I said, hey, I have my own ideas, but out of curiosity, what's the difference between the two of you? How come you ended up where you are and he ended up where he was? And without blinking an eye, he said, Chad, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And I said, okay, I think I know what you mean by that, but give me a little bit more on that. And that's when he started to draw this curve. Mm -hmm. So his story, among many other conversations that I've had with people, has led me to... I don't want to say coin the phrase, but three layers of what I'll call a savvy investor. And his lesson here was, if you ask the average individual, whether it's stock market, real estate, you name it, what does it take to get from A, presumably where we are today, to B, more, whatever that looks like down the road? He said, if you ask the average American, the average individual, they're going to tell you it takes growth or rate of return, right? Mm -hmm. yep. So Yes. That's often what people are looking for. He said, that's a key ingredient and we need that. He said, but 
where the greats separate themselves is during those downturns. And then he started to do some math with me. So most of his properties are large multi-unit properties. And just to make the math easy, he said, okay, if I value a property at, let's just say value is net operating income over cap, hypothetically speaking, if I've got a property with $100,000 net operating income and a cap rate today, I'll make up a number of 3%, that property would be worth $3.3 million, wouldn't it? I said, yep. He said, when it goes here, let's say in 0809 or something like it, and again, he was just making up hypothetical numbers. He said, let's imagine I have the same net operating income of $100,000, but now cap rates are at seven. 100,000 divided by seven is 1.428 million. Let's imagine I put a million dollars down on the building or whatever the number is, I borrowed 2.3 when I initially purchased it, viewing a 30% equity position as safe. He said, let's imagine we're here today and now the property's worth 1.428, what do I do? He said, historically over my 50 years, cash flow has dipped about 20% for a multitude of reasons, and sometimes they're different. When the market goes down, cash flow goes down, the available equity to borrow typically shrinks on my balance sheet, the cost of borrowing goes up and you have this perfect storm. And he had made some mistakes along the way, and he said, what that teaches us here is in addition to focusing on just growth oriented, and we know real estate's going to appreciate it as time goes on, or at least we think, mm-hmm. there's a second layer that's allowed me to separate myself, and it's positioning my balance sheet to be in a position to never be forced to sell something at a loss. Yep. Because if we build our Lego tower, one on top of another, on top of another, on top of another, sooner or later, it's going to come crumbling down. And if we've got to start from zero once a decade, give or take, it's going to be an issue. So the second layer being avoid being in a position where you're forced to sell something a loss. The third is really where, in my opinion, he's been able to separate himself. And if you follow any of Warren Buffett or Ray Daly or some of these guys, I've observed some of the same characteristics in them. And the third layer is to be in a position to buy at a loss. Joe, have you ever read any of Warren's letters letters to shareholders or anything like that? Nope. They're really interesting. You can find them online. This last one that he came out with, he had a a paragraph in there that stuck with me. And the paragraph said something along the lines of once a decade, roughly, the economic skies are going to darken, the clouds are going to come in, and it's going to rain gold. (laughs) And when it does, we're not going to go outside with teaspoons. We're going to go outside with wheelbarrows and bathtubs. and what he meant by that, and he's been known for his phrase of he's fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful, is when he's in a position and everybody's running from the hills and panicking, he's out there scooping up things on sale. And as an advisor, the stock market and the real estate market tend to be one of the only places that I've ever found where people are afraid of things when they're on sale. Mm-hmm. Those are three powerful lessons, and I want to make sure I got the first one written down right. It's be growth-oriented. Did I get that first one right? Yeah, so whatever yeah. our chosen vehicle, be it the stock market, be it real estate, and there's a million different ways to do all of them, whatever the chosen vehicle or method of growth, there has to be an element of being able to generate income or returns or something in there. And risk or opportunity for growth is pretty easy for just about anybody to find. We can all find something and master it. 
The challenge then becomes how do you sustain your empire? And taller mountains need fatter bases. How do you sustain your empire? Make sure that structurally it's never going to come crumbling down. And then imagine you go through a, a period of time like a 2008, and you're not only in a position where you can hang on to everything, you're fine, don't need to sell, families' needs are met, employees' needs are met, everything's good. But imagine you're also in a position to become a significant buyer at that point in time. Yep. And getting into the industry about that time, one of my first interactions with a high income, high net worth individual, and I can't take credit for what he did. One of my first observations, and this guy was a business owner, and as you can imagine, the market tanked, revenues dropped significantly, and he had had a pool of money that was at par or better in a couple of different places that he went down to Florida and he bought 14 properties for roughly 50 cents on the dollar of what they were valued at a year or two prior. Three years later, he sold four of them, paid off all the remaining debt. And today, or at least I think he still has all 10, but he, today he's got about 10 properties free and clear of any debt, spitting off an income. So the way that he perceives the world is not to just be aggressive when the getting's good, but how do we also take advantage and separate ourselves in a downturn as well. And, and what does that do to your balance sheet ultimately as time goes on? Mm -hmm. These are powerful. I love it. Be growth oriented with a focus of income. Number one, number two, never be forced to sell anything at loss. Number three, be in a position to buy when everyone else is losing. You got it. And the only other comment that I would make on both of those is what I found is that the larger somebody's got, the more seasoned, maybe the more bumps and bruises they've had over the way. They start to view the world in terms of decades or maybe large institutional money or family money views it over centuries instead of a small slice of life, be it a month or a year or something like that. Oh, I love that approach. Yeah. It reminds me of something Tony Robbins talks about. We tend to overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in a decade. Isn't that the truth? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the philosophy that you're bringing to the conversation. What else, as it relates to your experience, that is relevant to real estate investors should we talk about? The other thing that I would talk about, I think, is often looked at is there's really, in my opinion, two phases of this. You've got the accumulation or the building of your empire. And then at some point in time, and some people build forever, but at some point in time, people's gears shift, their values change, and things start turning into who's this going to go to and how are we going to get it to them? Is it going to go to loved ones? Is it going to go to charity? Do I want this to go into a foundation? What does that look like? How do I do it? And a lot of times people have their immediate satisfaction society that we live in, people are so focused on, no, I need to do this today. I'll worry about that later on, that they have their head in their sand. And then sooner or later, they wake up and, and they've done it. They've built it. They've been so focused and driven over decades that they've done this. And then they find that they might have a huge estate tax issue or no way of transferring this. They start to dive into taxes and gifting and all these nuances that are an ever-moving target. But along the way, I find that in addition to setting up their balance sheets to be offensive in any season, a lot of times they're looking at life within the silo. And what I mean by that is if I'm the classic real estate investor, and I'll use my dad as an example. The first time I got into the financial services world, he said, Chad, 
I know what I can do in real estate and I know that I've been satisfied with my returns. Why in the world would I take my money and put it somewhere else? And that's a good question, right? What I've come to find out is, is these people are building their balance sheets and strategically placing assets in there. They have a purpose. Much like if we were going golfing and the name of the game is to hit the ball in the hole in as few shots as possible, people might spot the obvious if they've never golfed and say, hey, the one that I can presumably hit the ball the furthest with is the driver. Now, you can have 14 clubs in a bag, but if I gave somebody a bag of 14 drivers, good luck playing an actual round of golf. And we've heard the saying there are two things certain in life, death and taxes, and I have a third, and it's that life doesn't always go according to plan. So these folks have found a way to position themselves to be able to pivot and move strategically in these subtle nuances that make consistently large differences spread out over extended period of times, just in the same way as in my golf example, we certainly can't hit the ball with a sand wedge or a putter, but if we plan on scoring, well, we're going to need them. Mm -hmm. And that would be one thought with it. And then the other side is looking at what I'll call a collective return and a kager. So what I mean by collective return is if we're getting and I'm going to make up a number. If somebody comes to me and says, okay, Chad, I get 15% or 20% in my real estate deals historically. And then maybe they've got cash on their balance sheet. And maybe their $10 million of cash on their balance sheet is getting, again, I'll make up a number, 1%. But they're in a high tax environment like we are in California. They could theoretically be paying north of 50% in taxes. So if they're paying 50% on 1% and they net a half, but inflation might be 2 or 3%, it's a mathematical drag on their balance sheet. So while they may be experiencing positive returns in real estate or some other asset that they invest in, and they have this negative drag that's a necessity, perhaps, in real estate, they need to start looking at everything as a collective and then isolating and saying, okay, how do I make this piece for the purpose it's meant to serve as efficient as possible? Mm-hmm. And most of them are very superb at what they do in investing in real estate. It's often some of the unknown spots that they get caught up. Based on your experience working with investors and also growing up in a real estate investor family, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice ever would be to view the collective goal as one and stay connected with the why you're doing it. And what I mean by that is view this journey, this adventure of building your real estate empire with purpose. And somebody once told me your values determine your goals, your goals determine your strategies, your strategies determine the tools that you use. Sometimes people start with the tool or the strategy. And owning real estate, it's a tool, it's a strategy, it's not necessarily a plan. Mm -hmm. And along those lines, sometimes people get caught up in the economics of it, and they forget that there's this emotional component as well as to how they feel or how their family feels. And then once they wake up and say, hey, I forgot what I was doing this for, and I hope that never happens to them, but if they wake up and say, hey, I forgot what I was doing this for, turns out I don't want more real estate or I don't want more return those were just a means to an end. And that end is X. It's a happy family life. It's a lifestyle that I desire. It's peace of mind. But if once a decade, you're in a position where 
things are chaotic because we stretched ourselves and you can't sleep. And I've had clients have told me that they didn't sleep for two or three years during different periods of time. That my advice would be to connect those values and those goals and remember why you're doing it and view everything as one instead of just in a silo of saying, how do I make the most money? I love it. And that will allow us to have a sustainable career in whatever we do. Because as we have the peaks and valleys, we'll be able to ride through that because we'll have a more compelling reason why versus just doing it just for the sake of trying to get cash flow. You got it. It's the big mistake versus the little mistake. A little mistake might be, hey, maybe we missed out on a little bit of return or this potential opportunity here. But the big mistake might be sacrificing your family's emotional health or maybe overextending yourself and having everything come crumbling down to nothing and the emotional tolls that come along with that. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready, my man. All right. I know you are. First, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation Podcast at thereifoundation.libson.com. Chad, what's the best ever book you've read? Best ever book I've read. I've read a lot of good ones. I'll give you the most recent one. I would say Ray Dalio's Principles. And if I'm allowed to add in a second one, I don't know if it's in book form, but Jim Rohn had an audio program called Challenge to Succeed. It's four hours and some change long. I've probably listened to it 50 times and it's changed my life. Best ever deal or in your case, maybe a a client story that you can think of? Best one that I can think of is taking a guy that was a real estate investor and business owner and just by some strategic restructuring of his assets and plans we ended up redirecting somewhere in the ballpark of 20 to $25 million to people that he loves and cares about and charities that he cares about that otherwise would have went to our friend, the tax man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Let's see. What's a mistake you've made as a business professional? That's a good question. The biggest mistake that I've made as a business professional was just putting my head down and, again, thinking if I built more, everything would sort itself out instead of sitting back and again, thinking at some of the big picture and being a business owner and investor myself, I experienced the same ups and downs as everybody else. So the early years was full of metaphorically getting punched in the mouth. And it's like the famed philosopher Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And it's happened from a business standpoint, happened earlier on, and I hope I'm learning from them. What's the best ever way you like to give back? We've been doing a few things over the last couple of years. This last year, we built a playground. We raised some money and we built a playground through a, a company called Kaboom that helps put playgrounds into 
low-income areas. And then this year, we've been raising money and giving back with an organization called NEGU, N-E-G-U, Jesse Reese Organization. Awesome, awesome organization helping out kids with childhood cancer. And I'd say those are the two biggest ones at the moment. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Best way is uh, Megan is in charge of my schedule. Her number is 949-863-5893. Or folks are welcome to email me at chad, C-H-A-D dot Shaw, S-H-A-W, at N as in Nancy, M as in Mary dot com. Chad, really enjoyed our conversation and learning more about your philosophy and your approach. The three layers of a savvy investor, one, be growth-oriented with a focus of income, two, never be forced to sell anything at a loss, and three, be in a position to buy when everyone else is losing and view things over decades or even centuries versus months or years. So thank you for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. Really appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.